Non-rock a boatus must stop. I don't want to rock the boat. I want to sink it. Are you going to bark all day, little doggy, or are you going to bite? Brett, delusional is okay in your worldview. I'm an animal. You don't chastise chickens for being delusional. You don't chastise pigs for being delusional. So you calling me delusional using your worldview is perfectly okay. It doesn't really hurt. <laughs> she hung up on me. Desperate times call for faithful men and not for careful men. The careful men come later and write the biographies of the faithful men, lauding them for their courage. Go into all the world and make disciples. Not go into the world and make buddies. Not to make broses. Right. Don't go into the world and make homies. Right. Disciples. I got, I got a bit of a jiggle neck. <laughs> That's a joke, Pastor. When we have the real message of truth, we cannot let somebody say they're speaking truth when yeah. they're not. Take an amazing journey to a place that will blow your mind and move your heart so you will never be the same again. Behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth, here it is again, justice. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth and the coastlands wait for his law. All right, y'all, welcome back to Apologia Radio. Coming at you guys from Apologia Studio, somewhere around Phoenix, Arizona. This is the gospel heard around the world. You guys can get more at ApologiaStudios.com. Every radio and podcast episode is up there for your listening enjoyment. Delightful stuff, guys. Lots of great guests, scholars, theologians, scientists, debates, discussions. Really helpful stuff, we believe, for the kingdom of God, for the church, for you, for your family. I'm Jeff the Coleman and Ninja, and that's Luke the Bear. Yo, what is this song? I've never heard it before. That, well, I'm going to introduce it to you. That's Joy the Girl. Hello. That was and a joke, by the way. Marcus, oh, you haven't? Have, oh, have because been playing you've been all listening to it all week. <laughs> have I really? <laughs> no. have, I, have I seriously? Yeah. yeah. I didn't even realize that. <laughs> okay, that's Marcus King Ginger Pittman. Hello. What's up? So this right here. This kid had no idea what he was getting into when he uh, started yodeling. Or is it, is it? I don't even think it's really yodeling, is it? It's not yodeling. It's not yodeling. It's like a yodeling subtype. They call him. It's like country meets yodeling. Right. They call him the Walmart yodeling kid, and I was introduced to it because my children like this is playing nonstop in my house right now. The Walmart in office yodeling kid. Yes, and uh, I, he had no idea when his mom or his grandma or whoever took their cell phone out and started recording him doing this in the middle of Walmart that he would become an internet sensation. Literally, he's been on Ellen now. He was at Coachella. Yeah. Did you know that he yeah. sang at Coachella? Yeah. <laughs> That's he's, amazing. He's singing at the Grand Old Opry. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I mean, he's insanely talented. Oh, he's so good. Yeah, yeah. Like Candy heard it, she was like, she was like, "Oh, that's not very." Good. I was like, "Are you kidding me? He's brilliant. <laughs> this kid's amazing." And now he's on Apology of Radio. That's right. That's right. See, look. Whoa, the, really making it bigger world. than that. <laughs> that's right. The places you will go, like you know, it's Ellen, Coachella, and then even Apology of Radio. Whoa. 
Wow. <laughs> he made it. You know Big he made time. it when we're playing him. Listen to him. He's so good. I don't care who you he's, are, that's good. He's so much better than that weird mix you have going on. <laughs> you don't like the he's mix? He's being like auto-tuned. I think it's even better in my mix. That's definitely auto-tuned as yeah, well. Yeah, he's so. being auto-tuned when he's actually okay. talented. All right, let's be fair. Let's be fair. Okay, let's let everyone hear like, the real... If you're really talented, you don't need auto-tune. I don't know what I do. All I do is that Man, that kid's good. He's so good. His, his belt buckle's as big as his face. I know. I know. And if you see him, he looks like he's got like a, he's got a little bow tie on, big fat. He he's, looks like Howdy Doody. He, he has like a bow tie, white shirt, long sleeve shirt, nice tight blue jeans with some big old snow boots or something. I don't know what he's wearing there. Probably different. How about I had a different choice for there? But then he's wearing he's wearing like a car license plate for called, a belt buckle. He's got like a license plate on his front. I believe they're called cowboy boots. <laughs> no, the, it doesn't look like cowboy boots. They look like snow boots. Snow boots they, for plowing the fields. Yes, yeah, they really don't look like they really don't look like cowboy boots. Yeah, they don't. So yeah, the places you will go. So um, I you know I think anybody can can get internet famous now. If you got a talent, you got a skill, you just put yourself out there and, and you never and know where you'll someone go. Someone will auto-tune you. That's right, that's right. And right. they'll even play you on Apologia uh, Radio. Yep. So, um, <laughs> here we are, guys, back for another episode of Apologia Radio. I want to thank everybody for listening, for downloading the content, for sharing it with people you love. Thank you guys for being longtime supporters of Apologia Church and our mission. Um, uh, I, I pointed you guys over to Apologia Studios that's where all the content is, all the radio shows. I mean, there's just a long history there of just really, really great stuff. And uh, Apologia TV, Apologia After Show, um, Apologia Academy is there. Let's see. You know, we haven't really announced, uh, I think, very often, like, what you can get in the Academy. You've got, help me out here, guys. you got the Apologetics course with me and Dr. White. Mm-hmm. You've got um, Doug Wilson on, the, on, the, um, on Christian Worldview. It's just a really interesting take, too. If you watch it, it's just a Chris really... Chris stuff on feminism, which is the best thing in the world. Yeah. It's really good. Yeah, it's really good. And then... I think there's a 30-part series on the Doctors of Grace from John By Samson. John Samson, yes. Of course, each one is 16 hours in length. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then, uh, so you know you know what's good. Um, and uh, you got... Um, we well, got we're going to start putting up... Uh, book studies yes. that are done oh, that's right. that's as right. well. So yes. by this standard should be going up. Oh, very go good, Joe. I'm glad you remember that. Yeah, yeah. From good. this point on, our book studies. Yeah. So, so we ha- we had a, a bit of a problem. We we were recording our advanced theological training for Apologia Church on Thursday nights, and so we've done like you know post millennialism. He shall have dominion. We did. Um, uh, goodness, we've done so counseling. many. We did pathetic counseling, mm-hmm. um, and so those uh, hopefully those will be coming soon. But but the one that's definitely coming up first is we're doing a study right now that's actually pertinent to our discussion yes. today. Yeah. And it's on the law of God, uh, justice in the Bible. How do we apply the general equity of God's laws in the Old Testament to today's society? So we're doing right now the first part of the study in the advanced theological training is uh, Greg Bonson, 
his book, uh, By the Standard. So we're doing each week study on the chapters of that. And then we're going to go into some stuff, more detailed discussions um, about the law of God. All that's going to be available for you guys, advanced theological training. But what else I'm, I'm teaching some of that too. Yes. Well, I'm excited. Teaching yeah. yeah. That's so, awesome. I'll teach so, next week. Oh, do you really? Yes. Man, that's good. What's your chapter? I'm teaching on, it's amazing. <laughs> it's essentially how God the Father and God the Spirit each embody the importance to keep the law of God today. Oh, nice. That's awesome. So it's just, I mean, Bonson is, just he's he's yeah. the best he's the best i don't know what's going on with that so, okay so um but we also have um uh, we have the one on mathematics right so like the christian mm-hmm. uh, oh, yeah. the, the christian worldview as the foundation of mathematics mitch, mitch stokes mitch yep. stokes um i'm missing some here guys we got nate there's, wilson there's a lot of them joe, yeah. boot. joe boot um and i mean just there's so much there guys so you can go get that we do we we plan on growing that um really exponentially and just continuing that work so for those of you guys that are partnering with us, uh, you partner every month, all access, you get all that content, and you make everything we do possible. So I want to say thank you to you guys. All right, let's get right into it. Um, so everybody knows, if you've been listening to Apology Radio, you're at least up to speed on some of the stuff that's been going on within the Christian communities uh, across America. This is not so much of a problem for Christians in other parts of the world necessarily, like it is, at least telescoped, it, Right. where we're at now with a uh, black-white kind of conflict going on. So I want to just point you to one helpful discussion. Um, if you go to Apologia Studios on YouTube, uh, you will be able to see it, even at least the desk piece we did on cultural or neo-Marxism and uh, the history of it, the origins, and uh, how it's uh, impacting the church. So I want you just, if you would, just to go take a look at that, just to get at least a, a background of neo-marxism of the neo-marxism of today the strategies and techniques of the marxist critical theory uh all that stuff i want you to at least kind of get a a footing there to understand some of our concerns in terms of the techniques and strategies that are being employed in the race discussion i mean the whole oppressor versus the oppressed the proletariat versus the bourgeoisie that is a long-standing technique and strategy of the marxists that has been employed throughout the last century. So in, the Marxists are law preachers. <laughs> in a sense, yes. That's all they do is burden people. Yeah. Uh, but we got the solution. We do, we do, we do. We got the solution. We so, got the grace and the gospel. That's right. So, so I thought, okay, so I don't want to belabor this and do like two hours today just, you know, unpacking what everybody has said. I, I think that there's time for that and maybe elsewhere. I was planning on playing a clip with Tabidi on um, cross politic. I think I'm actually going to skip doing that today just so we can just get to the meat of the discussion of things that we're most concerned about. Uh, and that's over at CrossPolitik. Do check our boys out at CrossPolitik on YouTube, CrossPolitik. Uh, they have a family discussion with Tabidi. Um, so I'm not going to go into all that today. I don't think that that's going to be overly helpful. You definitely need to listen to it, though. You, you should listen to it. Yeah, very, very much so. Um, so I, I think that the, the start of the discussion should be foundational, and that is in terms of, all of this discussion, however it's come about, we are so grateful to God that it has. Um, social justice is a, is a big thing right now. We're, we're all talking about it. And I think from our perspective, we want to say with utter humility, not in any haughty way, don't take it that way at all, but we genuinely mean this. When everybody today is talking about social justice in society and the demands of social justice in society, we want to say in 2018, hey guys... We're so glad you've, you're finally here. Yes. We want to say we're so glad you're finally yes. here. I Bonson was here and he kicked him out 
of RTS. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is a discussion that has, this is not now being introduced to Christian communities. It's something we've been trying to talk about and introduce for a very, very long time. We are not the first here. There are, we have predecessors before us. You can look at some of my heroes, Dr. Bonson, Gary DeMar, Kenneth Gentry. Um, of course, uh, some of the writings of Rostunier are helpful. Um, Doug, Wilson. Doug Wilson, uh, of course, has been Joe a champion Boot. of the law of God, Joe Boot. Uh, so this has been a discussion going on for a long time, and I am so grateful to God that there are men using these terms and trying to get to drill down to say, okay, what does it all mean? And, and yes, God cares. <laughs> that's, that's it. Yeah, God cares about justice in society today. It just sucks that you have to say that in um, the Christian church in 2018. Does God really care about social justice? Does he care about justice in the world? I don't know. Under the new covenant, Jesus died for sins and always raised from the dead. But does he really care about justice in the world today? Hmm. Well, and the reason I think it is a difficult thing, and you guys could jump in here, is because I, I, I want to recognize two categories two categories, let's talk about it, that are problems, they're problematic, and you have people on both sides that will fight over this and will miss the, the meat of it, that, like, yeah, God cares about justice. So the first category that's a problem that we should all war against is liberal theology, the, the social gospel that abandons the biblical gospel, the holiness of God, our reckon sin, our need to be reconciled to God through faith in Jesus Christ, liberal protestant theology taught that it teaches things like jesus isn't god maybe jesus didn't actually exist maybe he's not even really a, an historic person as we know in the new testament um jesus didn't actually physically rise from right. the dead they deny the inerrancy the inspiration of the scriptures so i want to say when i hear brothers like john MacArthur trying to poo poo the idea of social justice because he really is aiming at Protestant liberal theology. I'm on board with Dr. MacArthur to the degree that he's against that Protestant liberalism. Amen. It needs to die a thousand deaths. Right. All that. Amen, amen, amen. Right? But but then you have at like at the Together for the Gospel conference when they were talking at the Q&A, they said it was Protestant liberalism that really made Martin Luther feel like he can be a minister and handle issues of social justice, and I, that's concerning. Very no, and that's the, and that gets to that gets, <laughs> that, and that gets to the other side of this. So the two categories I want you to talk about is the one we all recognize the failure of the social gospel, the heresy of the social gospel, the devilish nature of the social gospel that brothers like MacArthur will want to fight against rightfully, um, but he goes the other direction, starts creating false dichotomies. I'm going to play that for you guys in just a moment here. The other category that's a failure and which we need to avoid like the plague is the truncated gospel that says that it's only about reconciling and saving people for heaven one day and mm. that God has no social concerns mm -hmm. in the world today or that something to the effect of Jesus isn't concerned with social justice right. in the world. He's concerned with creating a church and saving people. False dichotomy because when Jesus creates a church and grows a church and he saves people and sanctifies them, what happens to society? What happens to it? Transforms. Transforms. Yay. So false dichotomies, right? But um, it's like what Dr. Boot says, guys. One of my favorite things he's ever said is where people will say when he has such a concern for justice in the world and law and the law of God in the world today in our society, they'll say you have an overrealized eschatology. Mm -hmm. And he says back, no, you have an underrealized soteriology. If God truly saves people, men and women, changes them from the heart out, then society transforms. People love the law of God. Justice is established, right? Mm -hmm. 
So the two categories that are failures is Protestant liberal theology, the social gospel. We say no to that. We say die and never come back. And we also say to the truncated gospel that says something like Jesus just came to save souls for heaven one day. He's not concerned with the world here and there, uh, here and now. I want to say there's so much we can say to that, but I wanted to say if we're praying the Lord's Prayer every day, we would never believe that nonsense. Because what, what do we say in the Lord's Prayer? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So God, may your will be done here on this earth as it's done in heaven. You're praying that every day. You expect justice to be established in the world. Um, so go ahead and talk about it, guys. It's all well, you. Well, I think the, I think we should start out by acknowledging that uh, these these problems that are coming up, that the conferences are speaking about on issues of race and stuff, they don't appear in a vacuum. They're out of no. They're not out of nowhere, and that we as as Christians should listen to our brothers and say we agree with you that there are problems of right. the church and racism in the past. Yes. And, and, and even today, even today, there's... Small corners, yes. Yeah, there, there are problems of racism, and, and uh, I mean, there, we, could, we could go through some examples of that, but I think, I think the, the reason that this is boiling over and we're hearing about it, I think we, foundationally we should say, yes, there are problems... Uh, but your solutions are wrong. Yes, mm-hmm. your your solutions mm-hmm. are the problem. Right. Honestly, I, that's what that, the solutions that are being presented, uh, uh, which which aren't being presented as clearly as I think people really want them to be presented. Right, and should be presented because I think that that's going to expose like where the matter of the heart really is. So. So uh, we can, you want me to go through some well, examples? No, no, we'll do that right after okay. the yeah, We're going to get to that. You guys want to add to this as of now? Anything? I was just going to say that the conversation surrounding this does tend to be, um, it ends up being, does racism exist? Right. But that's not the right conversation right. Right. to have. Yes. Because nobody's saying racism doesn't exist. No, I think the I think some people are. If you're saying that, um, if that's the angle you're taking on this, please stop. Right. You're not helpful. Um, <laughs> yeah, you're not helpful. It. Yeah. But and, and like I tried to illustrate in last week's show and on next week, that hatred for another person, that pride over your skin color, needs to be condemned by the Christian Church with gospel categories, with right. gospel categories, and that exists of course, in the black community, in the Asian community, in the white community. I mean, one thing that's pointed out often is that, uh, do you realize the kind of racial animosity that exists between Asians, between Koreans and Japanese, and Chinese yeah. and Japanese? I mean, we're talking some serious oh, yeah. conflict that is, is very present today. It's not just a white and black issue, but I don't want to minimize the white and black conflict. I want to say let's repudiate it, all of us, and let's call it what it is. It's hatred for your brother. It deserves hell one day. It is condemned by God. He will judge it. It's pride over such a stupid thing, the color of your skin. How dumb is that? Can I just say that? Like, I think that racism of all sins is like one of the dumber sins. It's like, how much of an idiot do you have to be to actually have pride over your skin color? You got nothing to do with that. Mm. You were born into that. <laughs> but it's, well, it's, and you, if you're a Bible-believing Christian, right? then, yeah, then you, we all came from the same place. Then you know better. Right, right, exactly. <laughs> Come on. You are seriously the same. It's not, it doesn't indicate anything other than melanin right. in and, your skin. Yeah, and like, can I just say that one of the things that we might actually get pushback 
from I, I think even maybe even some maybe even some black brothers and sisters that might just not be where we're at with the law of God. Um, I believe that the proper way to have dealt with in, in a system of justice in that when they were in, in kidnapping and enslaving black people, I think that they should have done what God said to do, and that's that if you kidnap and enslave a person, you deserve capital punishment. That's right. how much God hates that sin. Right. Um, and I think that even people who are professing faith in Jesus in that day, if there were just laws and statutes, they if they participated in it, I don't care if Jesus is on your lips, you deserve to die. Right. Like Paul says in the book of Acts, when he's standing on trial in the book of Acts, he actually says that post-cross, post-resurrection, post-ascension, he says, and in, in, just read in the book of Acts, I think it's Acts 24, 25, he says, if I've done anything worthy of death, I don't object to dying. That's Paul in the New Covenant saying, capital punishment is a relevant and just standard, and if I've done anything to deserve capital punishment, then I don't object to dying in the new covenant. So, um, so I just want to put that out there. Um, but I, I think this is probably necessary because there may be brothers and sisters in Christ that just aren't thinking in terms of, yeah, God actually cares about social justice in the new covenant. Yes, I know you're out there, and I just want to ask you to humbly stay with us for just a few moments. I don't want to really belabor this point, but I want you at least to hear that, yeah, God does care there's an exegetical biblical worldview case to be made that God cares in the new covenant about social justice here and now. So I just want to play by way of contrast, or at least to get into the discussion, uh, Dr. MacArthur, brother, Pastor MacArthur, uh, talking about this particular issue. And I just want to say that it's like half of this I completely agree with, and the other half I'm like, well, wait, what are you doing? Because that's a false dichotomy. So just go ahead and listen. Jesus did not come to seek social change. He did not come to alter the tax code. He did not come to address economic issues. They were not a concern for Him. Was He aware of them? Absolutely. He had perfect knowledge of absolutely everything. There was no abuse, no inequity that He was not fully aware of. He knew that there was a great need for social reform. He knew that there was a great need for tax reform. He knew that there was a great need for care of the poor and the sick who were believed even by the Jews to be under the, the punishment of God and who were treated with indifference and abused. He knew. So on the one hand, as, you be, as he begins that talk there, I want to say like my my first inclination is to argue with these points from the scriptures. Yeah. Now, when what he does in a moment here, I go, oh, now I see what you're doing. No, I, I get what you're doing. He's really attacking the social gospel of Protestant liberal theology. Mm. That's what he's trying to do. I think he's doing it, and I mean this like at, speaking to him like as a father, I think he's doing it in kind of a messy way and a not overly helpful way, and it begins truncating the gospel and the mission of the church. Uh, but I get what he's doing, and I'm in 100% agreement when he attacks Protestant liberal theology and the social gospel. That's really what he's trying to do here. But the way he sets it up is not helpful, and these Protestant liberal theologians can take him down mm. because they will easily pull, to this, pull from the same text that I would. Mm. Now, they're not appealing to it in the same way I would, but they'll pull from the text that clearly show that, yes, God cares about justice in society. Yeah, and I would say that MacArthur's not consistent on that because he believes that we should fight to end abortion. Of course. Right. There you go. So, yes. 
Yes, right. Of course. So, so that there's so, the falling off because yeah. he's a Christian. The result is uh, justice for the unborn. Right. Right. So uh, just by way of a couple of references, I, I, I can do this all day. I can't take up the entire radio program to do it, but I just want you at least to have some reference points. In Isaiah chapter 2, that's a text you guys can go to, just a quick one. After God condemns in Isaiah chapter 1, his people for doing what? They do not, verse 23 of chapter 1, they do not bring justice to the fatherless and the widow's cause does not come to them. Um, in Isaiah chapter 1, he commands his people, he says uh, that he wants them to cease to do evil, learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, plead the widow's cause. So after he condemns his people and he says he's going to judge them for their injustices, social injustices, uh, he then gives a promise about what's going to happen in a new covenant. And it's in chapter 2, verse 1. Here's what it says. Listen closely. It says, verse 2, It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains and shall be lifted up above the hills and all the nations shall flow to it. And many people shall come and say, Come, let us go to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways and that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go the law, the Torah, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. That's the promise. After he condemns their injustices, he then promises what's going to happen in a new covenant is the nations are going to come to God, and they're going to do what? They're going to seek God's ways and God's law. That's a constituent element of the new covenant itself. So then Isaiah 9, famous Christmas verse, I just did this at church on Sunday, verses 6 through 7, it says, Child is born, a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Now here it is. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. See that? That increase, that growth on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish and to uphold it with, here it is, justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. the The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. So that's Isaiah 2, Isaiah 9. At the beginning of this um, program, I quoted Isaiah chapter 42, and that's, that's a clear promise. You just can't get away from that. What's it say? What's Jesus going to do? The servant that God upholds, his chosen, in whom his soul delights, it says he will bring forth justice to the nations. It says that he will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth, and the coastlands wait for his law. So when... Dr. MacArthur says Jesus didn't come to establish justice and a new social order. I'm going to say, but what about Matthew 28, 18 through 20? Mm-hmm. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go make disciples of the nations, baptizing them. And he says what? Teach them to do what? Obey. Obey. I have a question. All. All. I have a question. If, if the nations come to God and they're discipled and they obey all that Jesus has commanded, what does it create? a new social order. So so it's like, it's a false dichotomy to say that he didn't come to establish a new social order when that's a truncated version of the gospel of the kingdom. Because it is the gospel of the kingdom. It's good news of the kingdom. And by the way, that's what I say is missing from this truncated version, is it misses the good news of the kingdom. For MacArthur here, there is no good news attached to Christ's kingdom. Mm. What's good about it? Well, I, I'll go to heaven one day, but yeah, but there was more to it than that. Yeah, but that comes in a thousand-year reign. That's <laughs> and that's the point. See, that's the point is that if you have a futurist view of the kingdom of God, that it's going to be dropped later in history. This is the kind of bind you get in. 
because I do believe that Dr. MacArthur would say that during the thousand-year literal reign of Christ on the earth, which is future to us, that is when the world will experience true social justice. Right. And this is why hashtag eschatology matters. Right. Um, but let's, well, I'll say ahead. it quick. I, I actually taught a little bit on this last week for... Um, oh, yeah, standard. that's right. So yeah. Bon, one, one point Bonson makes that like a lot is he basically talks about how um, obeying God's law is it's not restricted outwardly and it's also not restricted inwardly. Meaning, the, so you got the Pharisees who in Matthew 23 were outwardly obeying the law, although their own man-made law, but they were outwardly obeying the law, very pietistic about it. But in Matthew 23, he, he rebukes them for, um, for uh, neglecting the weightier things of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. Right. So he rebukes them for, for, for neglecting <laughs> to do that, and that's kind of what MacArthur's... I mean, obviously we know what MacArthur's getting at, but this is also uh, complaints we hear often against against our position on the law. And and so, you know, the point is like you're to do it outwardly and inwardly. And MacArthur essentially is saying, we're just going to do it inwardly. Right. And that's what I call retreatist. Like we're just going to do it inwardly. We're going to practice this in, inwardly, but not outwardly because we're retreating from the culture, yeah. which is what you're just getting to with. That's powerful. And that creates, that creates a lot of problems in which Marxists try to come and fix. Yes. Right. Yes. Oh. And then those yes. solutions, people just Make become it slaves. Worse. And it when they just become slaves to those solutions. Right. Yeah, so it's, it's just tyranny. perpetrating slavery. <clears throat> yeah, tyranny means essentially the rule of man. <laughs> the cross of men. <laughs> so, uh, that's, what it, that's, what it, that's what it is. Okay, let's play the rest of this so we at least get to the point of, yeah, does Jesus care about social justice? I think the answer is, uh, without question, yes. Uh, here's Dr. MacArthur were mistreated. Orphans were mistreated. And yet he never came to bring about a social revolution. His appeal was always to the Wait. hearts of men. It was always to the souls of men. Um, he, he didn't come about, he didn't come to bring about a social revolution. By the way, that's, well, not, yeah. what that's, not, what that's not what we're saying either. No. no. Well, and so we're thinking... So social justice is in the context of how we know that word, like what that word means to us, to us. Yeah. But we were given instruction in first Timothy on how to care for widows. Yes. So and James says that true religion is caring for right. widows and orphans. Yeah. Right. So, so you can't say that he didn't. So yes, maybe he didn't want social justice in what it means today, but there was obviously some form of, um, societal care. Yes. And we've really messed it up. Yes. Um, it's the problem of the truncated gospel. Right. Yeah. That's what, yeah, that's exactly right. What did, what did Sandlin call an anorexic gospel? Anorexic gospel. Yeah, that's right. Is that all, Joy? Can uh, yeah. I do? Okay. Yeah, go ahead. All right, here we go. Not their political freedoms. It was not their social justice that he sought. He didn't participate in civil rights. He wasn't involved in a crusade to abolish slavery. He preached the gospel and he knew that all that is just and all that is equitable and all that is good and all that is noble and all that is elevated will come when hearts are changed. Yes. Mm. Yes. So, do you see what happened there? Mm. That, that's, a, that's a false dichotomy because you nailed it, Pastor MacArthur. You nailed it. 
that's the point is that when regeneration takes place and people's hearts are changed and they're sanctified out from that like like water flowing this life giving water flows into the world and it heals the nations right like the gospel heals people and then as people are healed and they're reconciled to god now they love god's law they love his standards of justice they, they seek justice and righteousness and equity, all those things. So what we're saying here, and listen, this was not to in any way diss Pastor MacArthur. It's to say that I get why there are segments within the Christian community that are complaining, going, wait, wait, just wait a tick. Wait a second. Jesus does care about social justice. God does say he's going to establish justice. He does care here and now in a new covenant. And why aren't we talking about that? And we need to talk about that because we're supposed to care about our neighbor, love our neighbors, love ourselves. Mm. But then you have other people that are so worried about the liberal um, social gospel that they're, that they're re- overreacting on the other side and truncating the gospel. Right. So it's like, wait a second, why are we doing that as Christians? We always fall off the edge of, of one or the other side. Like we go just berserk on the other direction when there's a, there's a solid, balanced, biblical middle position that says that as people are redeemed, reconciled, regenerated, they love justice, they love God's law, and they seek it and they do it in society. And guess what that brings? Social change. Yep. Social justice. Now, I just want to say, and this is just whet your appetite, I guess. Uh, listen to Apologia sermons on YouTube or on our app to get like you know full explication of this. But go to your last book of your Old Testament, and that's the book of Malachi. When you go there, if you look what God says he's going to do, it's in chapter 3 of Malachi. He says he's going to send his messenger. He'll prepare the way before me, and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. So it's going to be messenger, we know, John the Baptist, and then the Lord comes to his temple. That's prophecy of Jesus, by the way. He's coming. And he's the messenger of the covenant, so that's new covenant, right? It says that he is going to refine people. He will purify the sons of Levi, and he says they'll bring offerings and righteousness. So there's, there's salvation, right? And then watch this. This is one of my favorite parts here. And he says, verse 5 of chapter 3 of Malachi, then I will draw near to you for judgment. I will be a swift witness against, listen to this, it's amazing, against the sorcerers, against the adulterers, against those who swear falsely, against those who oppress the hired worker in his wages, the widow and the fatherless, against those who thrust aside the sojourner and do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. Are you kidding me? How could we say that God doesn't care about social justice? He's coming to, to judge right. the covenant breakers for what? For their injustices, for not caring for the poor and the widow, right? For the hired worker. Now, this is where it gets interesting, right? So John the Baptist, then Jesus comes to his temple. Where does it say he comes? To his temple, and he's what? He's a swift, he brings swift judgment against those who swear falsely and on and on. Listen to Jesus, Matthew 23, at the temple, <laughs> I just love this. It's so amazing. It just, I, it's just the, the consistency of God's word is just incredible. Verse 16 of 23 of Matthew, Jesus comes to his temple after John the Baptist, just like Malachi 3 says. Woe to you blind guides who say, if anyone swears by the temple, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he is bound by his oath. You blind fools, which is greater, the gold or the temple that has made the gold sacred? And you say, if anyone swears by the altar, it's nothing. But if you, anyone swears by the gift that is on the altar, he's bound by his oath. What's, that, what's Jesus doing there? He's condemning people for swearing falsely. What did Malachi 3 say that the Messiah was going to do? He's going to come to his temple and he's going to do what? Be a swift witness and judge against those who swear falsely. He says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, verse 23, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin, cumin, but have neglected the weightier matters of the law, 
justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. Um, and then he goes on, but what's the whole condemnation there? It's against social injustice. But here we go. Uh, when you say that in the new covenant, Jesus isn't concerned with like creating a new social order, all that stuff. What's the thing that happens in Matthew 25? Matthew 25, Jesus says that on the last day, what's going to happen? People are going to come before him and he's going to say to them, come you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty. You gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison. You came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you a drink? He said, when you did, and when do we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? When do we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did it to the least of these, my brothers, you did it for me. So Jesus tells us to pray for God's kingdom to come, his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. And he condemns, his peop, peop, he condemns people on the last day for not not upholding social justice. So does he care about social justice in the new covenant? Yeah, he does. And I think um, part of the healing process here is to start acknowledging that in the new covenant, yes, God uh, cares about social justice and um, the gospel changes the world and then social justice abounds. Right? Mm -hmm. Yep. Amen. All right, so um, let's do this. We're going to come back now and here's what we'd like to do. Marcus is very excited about this, by the way. We... We're not overly impressed um, with Tabidi's answer. I'm trying to be as gracious as possible. At the very end of Cross Politic, I'm not going to play it now. Just go listen to it yourself. David um, asks a question. Chocolate Knox asks a question to Tabidi. Okay, we're there now. We recognize there's a problem of social injustice. How do we establish justice? What is it? Give, give it to us. We acknowledge what you're saying. There's a problem. Now give it to me. What do we do? What's the plan? And Tabidi didn't really give any kind of coherent answer no. in terms of what does social justice, according to Christ, look like here and now in America. Um, he just said something to the fact of like, you know, God's given us a lane, be faithful in that lane. And I think, doesn't he recommend, Marcus, that um, something about public schools? Well, he used an example of a, a, public, a white public school teacher who uh, teaches... So that she can minister to uh, the inner city students right? Um, and then goes and reports back to the church on some of the problems with education in the inner city and stuff like that. Yeah. And, you know, when I hear stuff like that, I'm like, well, why isn't she helping shut it down? Right. <laughs> how, about, how about the theft that occurs in the public right. school for the, the coercive right. taxation and the unbelieving worldview that's taught? Them? I'd, I'd say we it's a sinful foundation and unbelieving foundation at the at the bottom of the public school system i would have a different answer but at any rate what we're going to do is this we're going to try to tackle this by way of three examples in terms of justice especially or in particular for young black men in society we're going to talk about what would biblical justice be in a society that's transformed what does it look like because young black men experience the brutality of a lot of these really, really aggressive, authoritarian, and uh, evil and unjust police officers. There's murder taking place. We recognize that. We've done shows on that. People are experiencing stop and frisk. They're being thrown in jail for drug, uh, nonviolent crimes, just drugs. Then there's a the welfare system. What does justice look like? Let's try to offer some solutions as we're talking about social justice. Thank you guys for listening. Stay with us. Apology Radio. We are back.
the chocolate knox if you love that wonderful sensation of chewing glass this is the show for you cross politic is a weekly show and podcast that mixes the taboo formula of faith culture and politics proclaiming the lordship of christ in every corner of our culture hallelujah gabriel wrench is a deacon from texas and he wears overalls one time <laughs> chocolate knox aka david shannon He's a movie maker from Minnesota. Action! I'm Toby Sumter, pastor here in Moscow, Idaho, and I used to live in Alaska. Did you know that? No. No. We've interviewed everyone from Alveda King to Ted Cruz to Steve Dace to Walter Williams, and we invite you to join us here at Cross Politic as we learn to fight, laugh, and feast all to the glory of God. CrossPolitik.com. For 21 years and counting, New St. Andrews College has sought to obey Christ's great commission to disciple nations and build him a house, not just in Jerusalem, but throughout the world, not with stones and mortar, but with living stones. We build and fight. This is the task of a Christian liberal arts college to equip students with the tools to build and fight. And this is our joyful task as we seek to graduate leaders who shape culture through wise and victorious living. To learn more, check us out online at nsa.edu. Studios.com. Joy the girl, Luke the bear, King Ginger. Hey, I got a uh, a question for you. Yes, sir. Because you've been married longer than me. Uh, d- does your wife take your phone and rearrange the apps and organize them in folders for you? Um, no. no. <laughs> okay. Okay, because my wife did that, and I don't know where anything is on my phone anymore. <laughs> I didn't know if this was a thing that women do. I don't know. Every I, marriage is different. <laughs> right? That's so why, different. That's why I like Laura, though, because she recognizes where you fail. <laughs> she could be your helpmate. She's right. so organized. Jeez. I have to say that I have, I've sat at the computer, and your email's been up. And your five thousand three hundred and sixty-two no, that is unread in, emails. That is incorrect. It gives me How many reason. Have? It's it gives thirty-three thousand three hundred thirty-six thousand. No. Yes, yeah. I was being hyperbolic, but yeah. I wasn't even at the right number. Not even enough. I wasn't even being hyperbolic enough. You're off six times. <laughs> yeah. All yeah. I'm saying is that I could maybe see why she would help you out by organizing your phone for you. Help me. T- <laughs> um, yeah, yeah I, my wife has access to all my, uh, well, everything. She, my, my Facebook is on her uh, phone, and so sometimes like I have to tell her like, don't check my messages because, like, if it looks important, don't check it because right. I'm I, I may It'll not be see marked it. as red. Yeah, no, yeah. I may not may not see it. Yeah, so, I knew I knew it was real when she scanned her fingerprint into my phone. So that's I was awesome. Like, all right, yeah, like, oh, it's, it's on. on. <laughs> That's how you know that she's an answer from God. That's yeah. right. It's on. Now the NSA knows we're associated with one another. It's official. My wife, um, definitely very organized in the house. And um, she, the one thing she's not organized with, though, is my socks. Like, since we've been married, so 19 years of marriage, and I've bought um, about 
about 17,000 pairs of socks <laughs> since we've been married because she refuses to fold anybody's socks. There's just something she has against folding socks. She won't do it. So I'll buy a pack of socks, like eight pairs, and by the end of that week, I'm down to maybe one or two, or I have like three I have like three socks, right. which is really annoying. Well, where we are they three. going? I don't know, because she just she won't fold them. Well, because socks or... socks kind of disappear without being yeah. folded. Well, the, yeah, that's but the... that's like a lot of socks. It is. No, to it is. Go well, what she does is she'll just like she doesn't want to fold it, so she'll like throw it in some random drawer, and I don't know it's there. And so like ten years later, she's like, oh, here's a drawer full of stupid socks, and right. she throws them away or something. I don't know. So. I have been on multiple trips with you where you had to go buy a pair of pack of socks. I know, yeah. Or underwear. I don't have any socks. I always figured I always thought that they should find a way to make socks like not made not one made for the right and one made for the left. Yeah. Like they should be like a uniform, universal sock. So that if you lose one, you just have a million Wait, are pairs. Socks left that all... and right foot? Yeah. They are? I mean, well, after you wear them, after you wear them <laughs> yes. I mean, I guess it's yeah. not very possible. I, I but thought, I, I'm I'm 40 years old. I had no idea these came <laughs> like this. Um, yeah, so I don't know. That's interesting in my house. And my wife also never puts. She's always re- rearranging the the house itself. So like, you'll go like a month where things are one way in the kitchen, and you go to where there was a bowl before, and you go there the next week, and it's not there anymore. So you have to spend. 10 minutes looking around the she kitchen. She does rearrange the kitchen a lot. I feel like every time I come to your house, it's all new. Yeah, it's something is moved. She just can't keep it in the same spot. So, yeah, that's, that's my life. Your kids are the same way, though. Yeah. I think they picked that up from her. Yeah, they are. That's my life. Welcome to it. All right. So, Sockless and lost in the kitchen. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know a girl. So, so let's talk about social justice. God cares. Uh, it is... A part of the promises in the new covenant that God is going to put his spirit within us, Ezekiel 36. He's going to cause us to observe his statutes. That's part of the promise. We as reformed folks say that all the time. He he sprinkles clean water on us. He puts his spirit within us. He removes the heart of stone, gives the heart of flesh. He he causes us to observe his statutes. Jeremiah 31, 31, new covenant promise, says that he's going to put his law within us. So now it goes from external tablets of stone pressed upon people who are still in the flesh and now we're empowered by his spirit with his law inwardly. So you, get this, you begin to see that the law of God and his standards of justice are a constituent element of what he got, does in a new covenant. So I'd like to actually give at least some examples of what we would say are things we can talk about that would bless black communities and help to um, undo some of this oppression that is now happening and it is prevalent today upon young black men black communities. And so let's give some real biblical answers rather than yep. saying this nebulous social justice. And you say, what does that mean? We go, I don't know. What, what did Mark say? What did he say? I don't know. What, what, what does Mark say about social justice? Because that's not helpful. And um, I think we need to avoid it like the plague. So let's talk. Or uh, just what works, like what's pragmatic. Right. That's, yeah. I mean, that's how I think we've gotten into a lot of situations. Like if it, if it seems like it'll work really well and it makes sense, then we just go for it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so I don't think it's helpful. I do not think it's helpful for us to start this conversation of social justice and literally have no biblical mm. places to plant our feet. Yeah. Um, that's not Christian. You, you sound just like leftist, um, liberal, Protestant theologians when you say social justice, and then when you start saying, well, what does that mean? You're just appealing to the standards the world has 
has raised up. I don't want to appeal to the world to say what is justice. I know what the standard of justice is because I've got his word. It's right in front of me. I know what he says. Right. This is this is why I think ultimately this conversation is a great thing. Oh, it's good. Cause, cause, it's so good. Because now people are like, oh man, we, we, need to, we need to repent for all this injustice. And so the if this is true, genuine repentance that people are seeking, they're going to turn to scripture. Then welcome to and, the anonymy, y'all. And we've had the past 40 years of books on the, this, this subject. Yeah. You know, while, while they were ostracized and kicked out of seminaries, they, they wrote books. Right. And so we have some amazing discussions on justice. Some of the best books ever written in the history of Christianity. Well, can, I we, think. can we? I think we, we, yeah. we can't. We can't assume, uh, Marcus. We can't assume that people know what we're talking about on that. Can we just give it like a just 30, 45 seconds on that? When you said they kicked him out of the seminary, we're talking about specifically Greg Bonson. Greg Bonson was kicked out of uh, uh, RTS Jacksonville in 1979, and his major thesis was theonomy and Christian ethics. Um, and it's the abiding validity of the law of God today. He was fighting for God's standards of justice in society today. He was fighting for the law of God as uh, abiding and relevant today in our culture. He was fighting for God's standards of justice in society. Yes. He was, Westminster Seminary organized their entire faculty um, to, to fight against Greg Bonson's thesis. Uh, both Escondido and uh, in Philly, right? Philadelphia? Yeah. Um, they organized their faculty to respond to his book, Theonomy and Christian Ethics. It was a horrible response. It was really poor. And um, uh, as far as I know, that's not even in their library anymore. Um, but anyway, so... Well, well, the reason that's important, I think, I think it's important to this discussion because everybody's coming out and talking about we need social justice now. And even at the Gospel Coalition and and the the, um, the Together for the Gospel... They're, they're looking back and they're saying, you can't look at the Old Testament and say that repentance doesn't require this of a nation. And so what Bonson was was making all these, these arguments and saying, we need to do this. We need to look at the Old Testament and, and, and figure out how our government should operate. And they kicked him out of RTS, Jacksonville. So that was yeah, one, one of the thing, themes of, of his life and ministry was he was fighting for God's standards of social justice in society. He wasn't, by the way, saying that we take the entire law of God and drop it on society today. He was saying, like we're saying, like Christians have been saying, the Puritans were saying, that the gospel transforms culture, society, people, and from that, they begin to love the law of God, his standards of justice, and then that's how they are established. Right. We, we look to the general equity of God's law and right. say, well, for can we, can we just dive into examples? Do it, now? do okay. it. So, uh, Police brutality right now, right? So that's an issue in the black community is police brutality. So we could look at scripture and say, well, in scripture, you didn't have uh, police officers who roam the streets looking to pull people over. Looking for crime. Looking for crime. The minority report, report preventative crime sort of uh, mentality right. that we have. Stopping for us. Right. But if you were driving drunk and you killed somebody, you would be punished for killing somebody. So the, the, the law punished those that did that harmed people, not prevented crime. So if we say, well, man, a lot of black people are getting pulled over for a DWB or driving while black. Well, one thing that would help that is let's get rid of those laws that allow a police officer to just pull someone over for any sort of suspicion or probable cause whatsoever. When there is no genuine probable cause. When right. they're searching for a crime. Right. right. Like I pulled you over and then they say, okay, what do you pull me over for? Well, we'll find out. Can I search your car? 
right? right. Like you're le- there's literally no violation to two things, ready? Victim and property. One, ask the question, where's the victim? And two, what property has been taken? So those are the two like main themes. So when you have a police system today that works where the police officers can pull somebody over and go looking for a victim or for, you know, property, crime, whatever, that's a problem and it's an injustice. It's an injustice across the board, okay? It's an injustice where the police officers brutalize white people too. I was just watching a video two hours ago where this cop was just abusing this white guy and it was all the same problems. But I want to say, yeah, let's talk about the black community because they're crying out for justice. Right. And so how, what would that look the, the, like? The point, the point is that in all, the, all, these cult, all these problems that black society has right now, whether it's welfare, education, or police brutality, or, 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 or anything, uh, 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 income inequality, all these things that, that are plaguing the black community are solved by looking to scripture and applying God's law on government. Right. Yes. All yes, of yes, them. All yes, of them. Yes. And so when we, the, I, the concern I think we hear is, you know, like uh, uh, Legan Duncan said, I'm not being Marxist. I'm not a Marxist. I'm just following the second commandment, which is love your neighbor as yourself. But nobody's saying that racism is Marxism. Well, the, the concern is that the solutions being proposed are Marxist solutions. Mm. And, and, uh, and, and I, I'm just going to take a quote from Thomas Sowell, who's, who's a black economist, and he says, he says, a hundred years of slavery didn't damage the black community as much as 30 years of, of a welfare state. Mm. And so... Thomas Sowell is black, by the way. Yeah, right. <laughs> that needs to be stated. <laughs> right, right. And so, he, first off, everybody... Uh, if you're really concerned with problems in the black community and how the church can come around and solve these problems, uh, read Race and Economics by Walter Williams and Tom, as much Thomas Sowell as you possibly can from a biblical perspective of the law and economics. Like, so, so I, I don't think they would say I don't think they, they they would say they're Christians, but they're not. Those books aren't like exegeting scripture right. for their positions. Yeah. But you can look at their positions and say, well, this is God's view economic capitalism and those sort of things mm-hmm. and you can go man like uh, I, I for example minimum wage right one, one of the things harming the minimum wage if you really want to help the black community be able to prosper and thrive let's get rid of the the, the minimum wage completely not not a dollar not lower it let's just get rid of it because what would happen was um in the late 1800s uh late 1800s you had freed slaves in the north i believe it was in connecticut and they came up there and they needed a job. So what they did was they worked for less than white people and they worked harder and better and faster. And so what happened was all, all these white people were hiring black people to do jobs. And, and they, were, they actually uh, gained such a reputation that there were want ads put up. You can see photos, and I think it's Walter Williams' book, you can see photos of these want ads that says, looking for Negroes to do this job, no Irishmen allowed. <laughs> because the Irishmen didn't have a good reputation, they didn't have a good work ethic, and they would come to work drunk and stuff. Say, I bet they drink a lot. So, <laughs> so come to work drunk. They did Irish. Yeah. So, <laughs> so, so, so you have this, you know, in, in early American history that uh, black people were being very successful. They were creating jobs. They were thriving, and the response was, you know what? They need to be paid the same high prices as white people are. That way. 
if someone has to choose between a white man and a black man, they'll go with a white man. Because then your racism, if you don't have minimum wage, your racism costs you money. Because mm. it does. So if you, if you have a, a choice between someone that's $5 an hour or someone that's $2 an hour and you're a racist and you go, well, I'm going to hire the white guy, it's going to come out of your pocketbook. Your racism is going to hurt you. Yeah. But so, but, but so people are like, well, I mean, I might be racist, but I, I am not that racist that I want to spend money on it. And, and so you had black people who were like thriving. So the people in this town of Connecticut went and they created a law, first minimum wage law, and it was rejected by the Supreme Court as unconstitutional minimum wage law. And uh, it wasn't until the New Deal that the minimum wage laws finally got put into place. Mm. So, so if, I, if I say, yes, there's problems in the black community, let's get rid of minimum wage. And, and this is where I think the arguments need to go. When we're always talking about racism and justice, we need to go to this because say, well, there's problem, there are problems in the black community. Well, let's get rid of minimum wage. And you say, no, 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 we need to increase minimum wage. Well, that doesn't help. That, that enslaves the black community even more. And, it enslaves minorities even more. And, and uh, it puts the government as a co-owner of every business. Correct. Because right. the government now has taken over your property and your business, and they uh-huh. say, I'm a co-owner with you. Right. How, how, how are they a co-owner? They're a co-owner, and they've stolen your property because they are now telling you, I have a stake in your company. I will tell you how to spend your money and how to operate your business. Yeah. So now you've lost private property and that violates God's standards of justice that says thou shalt not steal. Right. And then you have Jesus saying in the parable of the vineyard worker, doesn't, don't I have the right to do with my money as I wish Yep. to the employees? Yep. So, so, so that, I mean, that's, that's one issue. Right. And then, so, okay. So, so another one would be say, stop and frisk. Mm-hmm. Stop and frisk is a vi- gross, egregious, egregious violation of God's law. And, by the way, the laws of our nation. Laws of our nation say that, one, I have the right to remain silent, which means that I don't have to help my accuser ever. Not under any circumstance, so I have to help my accuser. If I have truly victimized somebody, if I've stolen property, if I've done something that's sinful and criminal then there are two to three independent lines of witness and evidence necessary to prove it. And I do not have to help you. That's biblical law and standards of justice. So if the accuser says this guy is guilty, then he has to be able to prove it. And if I truly am guilty and he really witnessed something, he has evidence to the effect that I've done something wrong, then he doesn't need my help. And that's why I don't have to say a word. God's law says uh, many, many places, but this is massive, you must have two to three witnesses. By the way, this is also a law that Jesus appealed to in Matthew chapter 18, the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 13.1. This isn't just Old Covenant. This is assumed in the New Covenant. It is repeated over and over again. Give, just give you a couple places to land on. 2 Corinthians 13.1. This is the third time I'm coming to you. Every charge must be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. That's New Covenant, post-cross, post-resurrection, by the way. Uh, Deuteronomy 19.15, a single witness shall not suffice against a person for any crime or for any wrong in connection with any offense that he has committed. Only in the evidence of two witnesses or of three witnesses shall a charge be established. Matthew 18 again, Numbers 35.30, 1 Timothy 5.19, listen to this one. Paul says post-cross, post-resurrection, post-ascension. I'm saying that for a reason. Because I'm, I'm saying this because it happened after the resurrection and ascension. Right. So this is the apostle appealing to this law in the New Covenant. It says um, in 1 Timothy 5.19, Do not admit a charge against an elder except on the basis of two or three witnesses. 
do not even receive an accusation against an elder unless it's on the basis of two to three witnesses. That's new covenant. That's God's judicial standard right there. That is just. So stop and frisk. This is a situation that happens across our country. It is unconstitutional. According to our constitution, based upon biblical law and English common law, you cannot start searching around me or my stuff without a warrant. And the way to get the warrant is you have to have witnesses and evidence that there's a crime committed. So a judge weighs the evidence. Are there witnesses? Are there, is there evidence? Okay, now you can go searching around. So our constitution says, I don't have to help you. I have the right to remain silent and don't touch me. <laughs> right. right. Don't touch me. Don't. So- so uh, go ahead. Uh, go ahead. Go yeah. On. So so when we have you know Tabidi, or let, let's not forget that Tabidi was the one that said, "I can't support Trump. I have to support Clinton." Uh, because because Clinton will do less damage to the black community than Trump will, right? Except uh, that she's the most radical pro-abortion yeah. person who in abortion right. has yeah. killed the majority of the black population. Yes. Right. Yeah. And so Except for that so little thing. Here's an article. It's uh, it's the article is called uh, why Clinton does not deserve the black people's votes. And this was obviously during the election time. And it's referring to Bill Clinton's policies because that's pretty much the only thing we really have to go on is like what Hillary Clinton would do is just to look at her husband. And uh, it says when Clinton left office in 2001, the United States had the highest rate of incarceration in the world Human Rights Watch reported that in seven states, African Americans constituted 80 to 90 percent of all drug offenders sent to prison, even though they were no more likely than whites to use or sell illegal drugs. Prison admissions for drug offenses reached a level in 2000 from African Americans more than 26 times the level in 1983. All of the presidents since 1980 have contributed to mass incarceration, but as Equal Justice Initiative founder Brian Stevenson recently observed, President Clinton's tenure was the worst. So 26 times. Right. So so Clinton was the one that instituted the 100 to 1 drug charge, right? So if 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 it's to, uh, you'd get 100 times the sentence crack cocaine for crack cocaine, right? Yeah. And 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 so so liberal policies, democratic policies have done more harm to the black community than 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 than, than honestly slavery did. Cuz it's not biblical justice. Right. right. Yes. And 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 it's, I think it's it's really it's really important to mention because this is this is why people are throwing the term Marxist out because a lot of when you have a guy who says I want to vote for Clinton because Clinton helps the the black communities more and he's now saying we need the that white people uh, are are complicit in the assassination of Martin Luther King. That's concerning because the solutions that he proposes for repentance it is does more damage to the black community. Right, right, because they're not God's. Yeah, and I'm just, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna say it. it, it there's nothing more racist than saying that 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 black people are unable to 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 aid themselves without the government's assistance. Right. But, the, the 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 during the times of slavery, there were, there were several several slaves that started multi million dollar businesses as a result of working and uh and working after hours and creating these businesses and and that's not to say slavery was good at no, all i'm not saying slavery was good it's wicked but what i'm saying is that that black people because they're created in the image of god are capable of thriving even under the worst of conditions and and, and welfare prevents them from it prevents them from being able to do that and 
done a lot of damage right to the black community yeah so 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 as a christian who who loves my black brothers i reject socialism and marxism and government welfare for them because it's bad it's poison right and 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 so and so those aren't just standards to establish in society right. and when we have christian leaders saying we need social justice and then they start appealing to the popular social justice of the cultural or neo-Marxists, the socialists. That's not establishing justice. That's establishing tyranny. So uh, another example here, this is from the New York Civil Liberties Union. I know we all think about the Civil Liberties Union, okay? But <laughs> these numbers, you, they, just, they just tell the story. So just, I'm just going to brush these quickly. Stop and frisk numbers. These are numbers for stop and frisk. What is stop and frisk? It means that a police officer is allowed to walk up to you, stop you randomly, and frisk you. So whatever happened to my right to remain silent, whatever happened to me being able to face my accusers and their evidence, whatever happened to the law against you touching me? You can't touch me or my stuff. You can't. Not without witnesses, not without evidence. Police officers able to walk up to random people and stop them and just start poking around on their person looking for crime. So uh, in 2002, New Yorkers were stopped by the police 97,296 times. Man, that's a lot. 80,176 were totally innocent. So 82% of those people that were stopped, 82% were innocent. So the rest, the police found crime. They found something, probably, you know, drug, those sorts of things. In 2003, New Yorkers were stopped by the police 160,851 times. Um, 140,442 were totally innocent, 87% innocent. 77,000 were black, 54%. So the numbers for white, 12%. In 2004, New Yorkers were stopped by the police 3,013 times. 55% uh, of them were black, 10% were white. In 2005, New Yorkers were stopped by the police 398,000 times. 54% were black, 11% were white. These numbers just stay consistent the whole way through. People can make the argument, well, maybe in those particular quarters, it was maybe a higher... Um, uh, ratio in terms of like more blacks than there were Hispanics and whites. But, you know, numbers like that, nah, no. Uh, stop and frisk and the numbers are that high, 54%, 53% consistently. Yeah, you've got black people being stopped and frisked a lot more than white people. You can see where our black brothers and sisters, friends and family are being oppressed and saying, I have a legitimate reason here to be concerned about police injustice and being stopped while walking while black or driving while black because of this injustice. So, so what's the biblical solution? Is it now? Clear backpack. Yeah. Is it, <laughs> is it, is it, is it to save this by democratic party legislation? No. Establish justice in society and stop police officers from being able to just stop people at random and poke around for crimes. Stop it. Don't do it. Stop, stop the stop and frisk. It's against God's law. It's against our current law. If we do away with that unjust practice of police officers, we will establish justice because guess what? Now you have that 54% of black men or black women not being harassed by police officers. So now that injustice goes away, right. at well, least on that respect. Why don't we go back to the days of the beat cop where the, the police officer was walking the streets only to help citizens make arrests? Well, yeah. I mean, so, well, like well, a privatized police force, community police yeah, force. Yeah, the community community police force, uh, where where the people who are who where the police officers know everybody in their community personally, 
And th- and then and then if uh, someone needs to be arrested, that's when you bring in a government official. So yeah, well, like back in the day when they had the the police had the whistle, they the police would have the whistle because they would whistle for the citizens to come and help them make the arrest. <laughs> well, yeah, and, and that's a good point. So what we're talking about is like our military. Oh, sorry, I'm sorry, it's a militarized police. That's what, what I was trying yeah. to say. The police force we have now is militarized. We have a standing army on uh, in our communities, in our towns and cities. We have a standing army that's that's roaming around looking for crime. They're supposed to. The well, police and they can use they. The point of it is that they use their judgment to decide when it's appropriate to search for a crime. Right. And at that point, you're dealing with the hearts of, I mean, potentially regenerate hearts, but also, yeah, very potentially. Uh, hearts that are have racism in them or um i i think a lot of it too i think just mentally you're dealing with a whole completely different occupation when you introduce pre-crime right you're changing the entire responsibility of a a police officer when you say we need to help you you need to help us make sure that crimes don't happen mm-hmm. and so even just mentally the the power that's associated with the occupation mm-hmm. completely changes right. and then you have people that think they have ultimate power with a depraved heart mm-hmm. that are walking around and they can stop you and just search and see mm-hmm. see what they find hey let me give you a scenario tell me what you think so what do you think would happen to me as a private citizen if we left here in a minute now and went to go get lunch and a guy looked at me, kind of th- looked threatening, or I just, I felt like maybe he was a bit threatening from across mm-hmm. the way. And I pulled my gun out, and I aimed it at him. What, would, what do you think would happen to me? Now, he, he hasn't presented now any kind of violent threat right. to me. He's not touched me. He hasn't raised a weapon at me. Right. What would happen if I pulled my gun out and aimed it at a private citizen? What would happen to me? You'd get in trouble. What, what would probably happen to me? You think, well, what do you think? You think, well, I'd get arrested. Yeah. Or, I'd get arrested. Definitely a fine. Perhaps jail time. If it's a Tebby police department, you know you would. Right. Yeah, (laughs) because they are not happy with me right now. (laughs) Tebby police are not happy with Jeff. They would be, they would have a, like, they'd have a cake. Right. Yeah, Yeah, there'd be a cake when they got back to the station. Uh, We got him. You'll be hearing about that. You'll be hearing about that in the weeks to come here, guys. (laughs) Tebby police department is uh, colluding with other government agencies to come after me. Um, so, but my point is, I, I drove, I was in the car with Candy and uh, Turtle this weekend, and we, um, we drove down Broadway in Tempe here, and we stopped at a stoplight, and we're coming towards the studio. I was coming to the studio, actually. And um, <clears throat> I see on one side of the street next to me at the stoplight, I see one guy, cops have their guns trained on this guy, pointed right at him. He's standing there with his hands up, no weapons in his hands, and he's not made any aggressive moves towards them. And I'm like, oh my goodness, what's happening over here? So the light turns green, I drive, and then I glance to my left on the other street, you have about six police officers have their guns on another guy at the other bus stop. And the guy's just standing with his hands up, right? And there's like all these like like old women next to him, they're all like freaking out. Like, So we drove, and we're total like dipping and dapping. And so right. we turned around and I parked in the parking lot to see what was going on. And I watched these police officers with their guns aimed at these two guys cross the street. No weapons in these guys' hands at all. No weapons. They didn't pull any weapons off these guys. And I watched this thing go down for a few minutes. And the police officers ended up cuffing these guys. And they ended up uncuffing these guys and, and I think, letting them go, ultimately. 
but they had their guns out aimed at these men's chests and heads. I want to say, even from a bystander observing that, if there was no violent threat, there's no weapon presented, you pointed a deadly weapon at another right. human being, right? And the only reason you should ever point a deadly weapon at another human being is that they present an actual deadly threat to you. Right. I have my barrel aimed at your head. I could kill you in an instant. The only reason you should ever be able to do that as a police officer is for the same reasons I can do it. And that's only right. if I have a justification for putting a deadly right. weapon up to your head. This is why we need to teach the black community about citizens' arrest. Because could you imagine? Could you imagine if, if with all these uh, poli like police shootings and brutality that if the, the response was that the citizens went and arrested the police officer? The Supreme Court's given us authority to do this. Right. And, I, and so I think that would be amazing. So God's <laughs> standards of justice applied across the board, meaning in this case with police officers, even an instance like that, if you pull your gun and you aim it at a person's head as a police officer, you can be charged with assault, attempted assault, attempted murder, depending on the situation, because you ought to be held to the same standards as me as a private citizen. Right. So well, that's, that's justice. What I mean, you don't get to... You... The whole idea surrounding probable cause is that we give this heightened responsibility to this group of people that have been trained more thoroughly, big air quotes there, than the general public. And you say, with this authority comes the ability to decide based off of your experience or observation or um, whatever uh, to determine if someone needs to be stopped and looked for a crime on right 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 <laughs> um and it just, just taken away arrested right if, if you if you as a police officer stop me and you put me in cuffs that better end with me in jail right period well and that's i'm like the whole point the point of it that is so wrong is that we are giving um the ability to police officers to decide for themselves um but police officers are human right. <laughs> and they're not all good. And uh, we, as we've talked about on the show before, there are times when police officers get scared mm -hmm. when they're less experienced than the people that they're with. Well, and then you also have this, um, like you said, they're militarized and we have a similar community as you would see in the military with police officers, right. which is a high sense of loyalty. So if one of you is pulling your gun, chances are most mm -hmm. of you, the rest right. of you who are there are going to pull your gun. You set up this weird, uh, it's just people. Mm -hmm. They're not different from mm -hmm. your your average citizen, um, but you've given them this ability to just decide for themselves when they can stop you. Yes. It's completely wrong. And, and it's, it's led to, I mean, countless, countless deaths mm -hmm. and arrests. I'm certain. <laughs> yeah, I, I can say this uh, with confidence. I think for every video we have of uh, a black man being murdered by police officers, um, I can show you also uh, white people being murdered by police officers as well. And, and I'm not trying to minimize the, no, one, the one over the that, other. That that makes me wonder why white people aren't as mad right. as, as right. black why are, people. Why are we upset about it? Yeah. Well, we should be. We should, I, somebody sent me that statistic the other day that 
more white people are killed by police than black people are. And I'm like, well, shame on us. Yeah, for not caring. <laughs> shame on us. Right. Yeah, yeah for real. So, so if we establish God's standards of justice with witnesses not helping your accuser, um, you know, you can't touch me if there isn't a crime committed, you know, all that stuff, then it protects white people, it protects uh, black people, it, it protects a it, it, Asians, you know, it protects all of us. But I will say, for the black communities that really are suffering right now and they're calling out saying, please help us, we're being brutalized, we're being, uh, we're, we're experiencing this injustice, it protects them. But what I don't want to see is I don't want to see through this discussion of racial conflict, I don't want to see the government, which is humanistic and secular at its foundations, I don't want to see it receive more power. Well, and it's the root right. of the problem. Yes. The government... Your government is what gave you the police force that we see today. Right. You want, That's a, what, you want a bigger? We've outsourced all of our government to the big government. Right. Um, right. And that's why we're where we are. Right. So give them more power to affect the changes that we want to see now. Right. And that doesn't make, it doesn't make sense. So it has to come with a call to repentance and faith in Jesus, the King, the Savior, our Lord. That's where it starts. Hearts change. But as those hearts are changed, they start caring about social justice like we're talking about now. But where do we go for the standard? By what standard do we appeal to justice in the first place? So I just want to read this to you guys. It's something I put up in terms of the racial discussion. And it just it's not long, but I, just, I want to read it to you. I posted it up, and I think it at least will wrap up my thoughts on this. I said today on my Facebook post is that the ontological trinity and the cross of Christ are the true foundation for racial reconciliation and unity. Within the biblical doctrine of the Trinity, we get true distinctions. The Father is not the Son. The Son is not the Spirit. The Spirit is not the Father or the Son. The persons within the triune God are distinct. However, there is a unity of essence or substance so as to not be atomistic. Within the Christian worldview, we get unity with diversity, the one and the many. The problem with worldly and unbelieving solutions to racial reconciliation is that it does not have this fundamental and foundational grounding. So. For the world, the emphasis will be upon the diversity between races and attempts will be made to amplify one distinction over another. At certain points in history, the white race will attempt dominance over another race. Another point of history may see the distinction of blackness as needing to exercise particular power or dominance over whiteness. The world doesn't know God, therefore it doesn't have a true and meaningful doctrine of man or of unity. The introduction of the oppressed and the oppressor is an inevitable conclusion in this thinking. We can only expect it, not be surprised when we see its reintroduction. Next, when we amplify unity, our essential oneness, and neglect the unavoidable truths surrounding our distinctions, we will hurt the diverse members within the body by minimizing the God-given distinctions of our particular tribe and culture. There are black brothers and sisters who are rightfully hurting over the attempt of some to minimize our true and beautiful distinctions by neglecting the true diversity that exists and pretending that there is only unity. In Christ, we get our racial and cultural distinctions. We get to celebrate ours and each other's. We also get fundamental unity because we're all one in Christ Jesus. When we appeal to beliefs, tactics, techniques, and strategies that are not grounded in a full or biblical worldview, we will find ourselves with disharmony elevating one distinctive or attribute over against another. In Christ, we get forgiveness of the cross, the power to live as new creations through his resurrection, and 
we get true unity as we are brought together as the one body, one, and the many, many distinct parts, tribes, cultures, languages. So my point in saying that was to, to say there are brothers who have even written on this and have said that they're really hurt because they hear certain white Christians saying, but guys, we're all one in Jesus. None of this colored culture even matters. And it's like, but wait a second, it does matter. Like your culture yep. and color is beautiful to God. He made you that right. way. That's a distinction that we ought to praise and highlight. Yeah, the Hawaiian culture is amazing. Beautiful. Yeah. I don't want to lose that. No, right. no way. <laughs> I don't want that to get swallowed up in unity. No way. I want to keep that. Right. But that's yeah. the, that's where the Trinity provides the foundation for how we're supposed to see this. Unity with diversity. Three distinct persons, one eternal God. The one and the many. With the ontological Trinity, you get the unity and reconciliation all of us are looking for. The one and the many. We get to celebrate both yep. unity yeah. and diversity. The problem with this Marxist ideology is what it's introducing is hyper-diversity. Yeah. Hyper-distinction. Right. right? It blows it apart and says, no, it's atomistic. There's kind of a unity, yeah, but really it's my diversity you need to praise and submit yourself to. It's like, whoa, we all get the distinctions and the diversity and the essential unity. You get that because of the Trinity. That's why you need the Christian worldview. That's it. Amen. Yep. All right, guys. <laughs> Love you guys. Thanks for listening, guys. Share the episode. Excited to continue this conversation. King Ginger, brother, thank you. No problem. Luke the Bear. Peace out. Enjoy the girl. Yeah. All right, guys. ApologiaStudios.com. Get more episodes. Share them with those you love. We'll see you next time.